Thank you so much, Jonathan and James. Thank you, Pat, for your leadership today, and Ron and Anda and Rose. Thank you. Uh, and thank you all for uh, indulging me there, the moment of gratitude. Uh, I should probably also, I mean, I thought about preaching in running shoes this morning, just because just this sermon comes with a bit of a parental warning. I'm going to use a certain four-letter word here in a second that I sometimes get in trouble with when children are in the room. D-U-M-B. Okay, just making sure y'all can still spell and read. All right. Uh, because I really need to observe today that sometimes people fight about dumb things. Uh, we, I pastored in Alabama before we moved to South Carolina, and Jesse started third grade there. He came home from school the first day. How'd it go, buddy? Well, people kept asking me, who you for? He didn't realize until like after lunch that they wanted him to choose Auburn or Alabama. What we discovered is that there's three questions everybody gets asked when you, get, when you come to Alabama. Where are you from? Where do you go to church? And who are you for? And somehow there are wrong answers to all three of those questions. This is dumb stuff. I mean, I guess we all do that to some extent. Fight over dumb stuff. Carolina, Clemson, same. Auburn, Alabama. Star Wars versus Star Trek. It's Star Trek, by the way, but if you want to fight about it, we will. Ford versus Chevy versus Toyota versus BMW, Coke versus Pepsi, Fox News versus CNN versus MSNBC versus BBC, Brother versus Singer versus Faf versus Janome. Y'all not into the sewing machine wars like I am? Of course, not everything we contend over is dumb or frivolous. Sometimes it is very consequential, the things that we contend with together, a matter of life and death or a matter of livelihood. Sometimes our long-held perspectives and traditions and cultural identities, you know, who we understand ourselves to be, even our biblical and faith understandings are challenged as we engage difficult issues together. Things that matter and are hard, like questions of LGBT inclusion, or immigration, or racial equity and equality or environmental protection, or entrepreneurial freedom, or a vast range of healthcare things, or lots of other things, Any, anything that we bring multiple deeply held perspectives to that are issues of great consequence for ourselves and others. I'm going to tell you the point of this sermon right now so you won't wonder or, you know, probably miss it because it's vague. I'm not trying to change your mind about any issue. I'm not even going to mention any more divisive issues in this sermon. I'm going to invite you to approach every issue in a way that aligns you with God at work in the world and aligns you with one another. 
and you remember how I said you're a special church? It's probably because you're doing most of this anyway. Here's what I mean. Take this story of Naaman, the great Aramean general, a war hero, a proud man, but despite his greatness, he is afflicted with one of the many skin diseases the Bible calls leprosy. As great as he is, his career, his social standing, his future is limited by this disease. But a little servant girl from Israel, somebody who was captured in an Aramean victory, said, you know, there's this man back home, a prophet, that can heal you. So Naaman goes to his king and he gets permission, a letter of introduction for his visit to Israel. His first stop is to the king in Israel, just like you're supposed to do. And we are treated to the very comical story of the king of Israel tearing his clothes and pulling his hair and saying, oh, why are the Arameans trying to pick a fight with me? I can't cure leprosy. But good old Elisha intervened to ease the king's troubled mind. He summons Naaman to his house who travels with all of his entourage and his wealth, which Elisha could care less about. He doesn't even want to see Naaman. He just sends out a messenger to tell him to bathe seven times in the Jordan River and he'll be healed. That's when Naaman's arrogance rears its ugly head. Bathe in the Jordan. H2O, my goodness, aren't the rivers in Damascus better than this mud hole in Israel? If bathing were all it takes, I'd be clean by now. And he stomps off in a rage. Naaman cannot imagine there would be water better than his water from home. Especially not in a puny weak nation like Israel. National pride and prejudice, arrogance on behalf of his home, his way of life, his power to conquer Israel, probably even his Google search of Israeli water led him away from the healing that he sought. Fortunately for Naaman, a servant intervenes again. Appealing to this great warrior, he pushes just the right buttons. Oh, if he had asked you to do something hard, you'd have done it in a minute. Why not do this simple thing? So Naaman bathed seven times and his skin becomes smooth as a baby's bottom. Well, like the flesh of a young boy, it says in the Bible. From this simple story, we who seek God learn an important lesson about being closed-minded. We must not let our certainty that we know best, our certainty that our resources are sufficient, our arrogant claim that our water is better than their water, thwart God's intention to save us. We cannot allow our own power, 
Our own limited information, our own prides and prejudices prevent the reordering of our lives that God intends. That's what happened in this story. God saved Naaman. He healed his leprosy, which restored the fullness of his life. And we didn't read it, but in verse 15, he comes back to Elisha. He wants to make a gift, and he professes his faith in the one God. Truly, the only God is in Israel. And it only happened because Naaman listened to two servants and a prophet, two of whom were foreigners, one of whom was a little girl. And he was able to suspend his disbelief that God could work through a river as piddly as the Jordan. With arrogance subdued, Naaman found the healing he sought and a new faith too. The same is true for us, I think. When we stop claiming that what we have is better than what God has to offer. When we're willing to listen to unlikely sources of truth. To people who are at the margins, who ordinarily wouldn't even appear on our radar. When we're open to the perspectives and the faith and the hopes of other people when we're willing to wash in the Jordan of new revelation and surprising potential, then God is able to do for us as God intends to save us, to make us whole. All of us who participate in the life of faith, who confess with Naaman that the one God is Israel's God, salvation comes to us. When Holy Spirit overcomes our institutionalized arrogance and our self-reliance. Look, even Elisha, the prophet of God, had to set aside his received wisdom. The prejudiced view that God wouldn't work outside of God's chosen people. As unimaginable as it must have seemed to people back then, God found favor with Israel's enemy. God was at work in the life of the conquering general Naaman to bring him salvation. As unimaginable as it must have seemed, God cared for Naaman. Dare we say, loved him even though he was not an Israelite, not one of us. That's why Israel's king thought Aram must surely be picking a fight. It never occurred to him that God might have been at work with Naaman all along. But to the prophet Elisha's great credit, he recognized what was going on. He saw God at work even in this Aramean soldier, and he responded. He participated in the work that God began with Naaman. He sent him to the Jordan where God completed what God intended. Healing and wholeness and salvation. Elisha set aside his 
Israelite parochial arrogance and cooperated with God's work in a people not his own. I confess, I do not pull this off all the time. I confess, I do not pull this off all the time. But when I manage it, when I'm willing to set aside my institutionalized arrogance, like Elisha did, I believe I find myself participating in more of God's work, cooperating more fully with what God intends, and extending God's offer of healing and salvation to more people who seek wholeness and fullness of life. I don't pull it off all the time, but when I have, time and again, I've stood beside people whose theology didn't match mine and whose politics didn't match mine. And despite all of those differences, incredible healing and salvation came. Isn't this what Paul is driving at within the Galatian conflict over circumcision that Pat read about? They were fighting to defend their faith, their life, their livelihood were at stake. And when Paul says to them, Let's not grow weary in doing what's right. Whenever we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those with whom we share faith. He's offering them a way forward, out of dichotomies and dilemmas, toward a more full expression of God's intention. For neither circumcision or uncircumcision is anything, Paul said but a new creation is everything. A new creation where old categories of distinction don't matter. A servant girl with more truth and knowledge than a general. A new creation where old prejudices no longer limit options. If you were asked to do something hard, why not give it a try? A new creation where truth and love and salvation aren't limited by traditions or boundaries or withheld grace. Go bathe seven times in the Jordan. A new creation where faith flourishes among former enemies there is no God but Israel's. Let all with ears hear and join the work of God. Amen. Our hymn of response.